This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Don't change that dial. It's time for Navigating the Newsroom. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Andrew. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to episode number four of Navigating the Newsroom with Andrew and Andrew. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Andrew Robinson. And this is the show on Film Geek Radio devoted exclusively to discussion and analysis of the HBO television series, The Newsroom. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing just fine. I mean, this morning I woke up, I discovered there was a fly in my room. But I got it, so that's that's good to know. Well, I'm glad you didn't have to reenact that uh, famous Breaking Bad episode with the fly. That would have been a... That would have been terrible. Today we are going to be talking about episode number three of the newsroom entitled The 112th Congress. This episode was directed by Greg Matola, who also directed the pilot, and it was written by Aaron Sorkin and Gideon Yago. So Andrew, why don't you go ahead and give our listeners a brief recap of what happened on this episode? So, so far in the newsroom, what we've seen before this episode even began was the idea of ACN, um, run by Charlie Skinner, trying his best to create an informed news program. And finally, we've gotten to that point. So now what we're being given is a six-month recap of what happened with Newsnight 2.0, with beginning with Will McAvoy giving this heartfelt condescending and almost complete critique of the news industry as it stands and how he feels it should be. Basically a repetition of what we heard in the first episode with Charlie Skinner talking about how they decided to do the news well. Well, this is Will telling the world that Newsnight has decided to do the news properly. Um, So we continue on a six-month highlight show of Will McAvoy just decimating the news as he goes through the election as well as the Tea Party that relates to that election and all of those candidates. We also have correlating with that highlight show is a meeting between Charlie Skinner and the head of AWN, played by Jane Fonda, as they go through tr- basically trying to say that this news show, while wonderful as an informative program, is stepping on all the wrong toes with the fact that they're informing too much, possibly. So, what did you think, Andrew? Well, as you mentioned, this episode is structured much differently from the uh, previous two episodes of the show in that it's basically a giant series of flashbacks, all of which are occurring during this meeting between uh, Leona Lansing, the CEO of AWN, and Charlie Skinner, in which they talk about what Newsnight has been up to for the past six months. It was probably the most exciting episode we've seen so far in the sense that structurally there was a lot of movement. It kept jumping back and forth between this uh, meeting, this really important meeting that's happening, and these different developments with the news show. It seemed like a lot was happening. But afterwards, I was thinking about it, and I realized, you know what? Actually, not a lot happened in that episode. 
really the only thing that happened is that Will decides to start attacking the Tea Party, and we find out that Charlie's boss, the CEO of AWN, really doesn't like the direction the show is headed. And that's really the only major developments that happened. Don't get me wrong, I think it was still a great episode, but let's be honest, not a whole lot happened. I guess I agree with you a lot, because you are right, not a lot happens. There are just those three major points that this show hits. The apology, which is, as I said, a repetition of the first episode, just worded as beautifully as Aaron Sorkin can write a monologue. The Tea Party bashing, which I'm almost willing to ignore because I view a lot of shows like this as more method than content. There are moments in shows like this which are throwaway. He could have been bashing the Tea Party. He could have been talking about Sarah Palin. He could have been discussing how Chris Nolan's Batman wasn't that good. And no, this isn't me saying I don't like Batman. This is That's just an example. It's just the fact that he's attacking someone is what we're paying attention to. Into. It's almost irrelevant that it's a tea party until it comes to the end of the episode when we find out that the owner of the parent company, which owns ACN, is not happy with the fact that the show is bringing light to all of these things that are happening in the world. And then, of course, as I said, that meeting, which is being shown parallel to the highlight reel of the last six months of Newsnight, in which we see Charlie Skinner and Jane Fonda discussing what's been happening with the news and then eventually what she thinks will should happen with the news i found it as a great episode because while not much happens i get what i wanted from the beginning of this show here we're spending all the time with character interactions as intercut as it is already we have will mcavoy at full blast during his news programs actually putting on a show and putting people to task to defend their point of views. We have um, Mackenzie and Will in relationship battles somewhat, if you can say that much. We have Jim, Don, and, Mac- and Maggie actually having a bit of a, of a moment during this episode. And we have the wonderful scenes with Charlie Skinner, and I don't think I'll ever forget the moment with Charlie jumping up asking, can I drink a lot of bourbon right now? And a little while later, I'll just put my my fist through your face. Oh, so lovely. This show to me is the hour-long TV show of His Girl Friday. And I've come to the conclusion that I'm ready to view this show as a comedy as opposed to a drama. The whole show serves underneath the idea of me enjoying the witty banter and the witty moments between character, just like in His Girl Friday with Cary Grant going on and off with dialogue that you almost can't believe these guys are that quick to get the right words out of their mouth. It's lovely. I don't know what else to say about this episode. See, I don't think I would call it a comedy, even though there are certainly some comedic elements to it. I still think it's very much a a straight-up drama. You know, you mentioned the idea that we're spending all this time with characters in this episode. See, I, I, I didn't really feel that. I, I don't really feel like there was much character development in this episode at all. I felt like more so than any of the previous episodes, this episode had by far the most pontificating and speechifying from Sorkin yet. There are so many monologues in this episode. I mean, as you mentioned, it starts off with that apology 
from Will, and then it goes into this uh, lengthy uh, conversation about the Tea Party, and then later on, it's the role of the news versus ratings, and it, there's so many speeches given in this episode that there really wasn't much time for character development. But the speeches are so well-written, I didn't really care. I was still enjoying them. I was enjoying hearing the words that were coming out of these people's mouths. I do think it's very interesting that we spent so much of the last episode talking about that idea of, you know, will Will McAvoy end up caving to the ratings? Will that be a conflict that takes place over the course of the season? And here, with this episode, Sorkin's already announcing, yes, this is we, we this is already a big deal. I mean, he, at the end of this episode, we have Leona Lansing basically telling Charlie Skinner, you guys got to stop with this new direction or I will fire Will McAvoy. And that's quite a big twist, I think, so early in the season. And I'm glad that, they, that the show went there. Well, I mean, it's doing the natural progression that this show needs to do. And, I mean, it is surprising that it went there so quickly because any show, any film, any narrative is, at the end of the day, we have to have a set of stakes to define what level these people are allowed to go to. When this show began, the whole idea was Will McAvoy is untouchable. He is the god of news television because everyone loves him that much. Um, the next episode, we're talking to it, and we see Will McAvoy giving the worst performance we can ever see, but no one troubles him about it. Now we have six months of him being the greatest news broadcaster, it, it, in, in, in Sorkin's definition at least, the greatest news broadcaster you can think of. And finally, he's gotten to that point where he actually is going to have to make a decision not between who gets to be beside him during the news night or what gets to go on during news night, but the fact that he'll be on news night at all. Right. And I do think that that is going to be an interesting conflict as the show progresses. But I want to talk about what little development we got in this episode before we started recording, we said that our main topic was going to be the fact that the show is bashing the Tea Party. I decided I don't want that to be our main topic. I want our main topic to be on the Will McKenzie relationship woes that this episode seemed so keen on having as a subplot. Are you okay with that? Go right ahead, sir. Okay. Well, before before we dive into that, let, let's go ahead and talk about uh, what we had originally planned to, to really dive into, which is the fact that the show is bashing the Tea Party now. The show has gotten a lot of flack for supposedly perpetuating a liberal agenda. And I think this, is, this episode is the reason a lot of people might get the impression, because Will McAvoy, and by extension, the newsroom itself, is so strongly coming out against the Tea Party, which is a wing of the, the Republican Party. That might cause a lot of people to think that the show is leaning left. Would you agree with that? I agree with the fact that during this episode, almost every scene of Will McAvoy in front of the camera is him pointing out the fact that the Tea Party members that they bring up are all ridiculous and all unfathomably unfounded in the way that they propose themselves to the world. I do not 
agree with the fact that this show is a liberal agenda show because as i said a a while back i wrote an article on my site called how critical thinking can ruin film and television and it was the idea of being too quick to the gun to criticize something because the truth of the matter is until we've hit that end goal until we've hit that end point that the creator wants us to reach we don't know exactly where we're going with this we also can tell that we're watching a highlight reel over six months we're seeing a lot of the tea party clips but who knows what he did in between those days yes the show itself might have a liberal agenda in the fact that we only did see the tea party in the context of this episode but isn't that the only thing that reese would have shown to jane fonda's character being that he wants to show the point that charlie skinner is pushing the the business into a precarious situation Yes, I think one thing this episode really did point out is that at the highest level, there is a link between news media and politics. Most broadcast news outlets are owned by large corporations, and these corporations, in turn, have to deal with Congress, and there are a lot of political dealings and favors involved. And so by constantly coming down against the Tea Party, Will McAvoy is basically setting the network up into conflict with potential congressional funders. So that is the, the problem that Jane Fonda's character, Leona Lansing, has with the, uh, with the situation. You know, when it comes to the idea, though, of the show being a quote-unquote liberal show, I don't think it's quite reached that point yet. And the, the, the simple reason for that is that everything that Will says about the Tea Party is grounded in facts. And that's the main thing he keeps pushing is that we want this to be an, a, a show about the facts. And we can see in the beginning of the episode, he sits down with Charlie Skinner and says, you know, I, I like the Tea Party and what the Tea Party started out as, which was this grassroots organization opposing certain things with the government. He, you know, he liked it at first, but over time, the Tea Party did sort of become this fringe element with some major financial backers that many people would argue has hijacked the Republican Party. So I think by casting Will as a moderate Republican, Sorkin has saved himself a lot more backlash. If Jeff Daniels' character, Will McAvoy, was a raging Democrat, then I think an argument could be made that Sorkin really is trying to promote, quote-unquote, liberal propaganda, as some some people would say. Uh, But because Will is a Republican bashing other Republicans, I'm not quite sure the case is that strong. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone needs to realize that Will isn't turning these people into fools. All he's doing is highlighting that they are. Right. One of the main news segments that the show shows us is a segment in which Will basically points out that the Tea Party, though it presented itself as kind of a disorganized, spontaneous, grassroots organization, actually had some very powerful and very wealthy financial backers in the form of the Koch brothers. And all of that has been documented, and that is fact. So it didn't seem to me like 
the show was insulting Tea Party members as much as it was pointing out that the common perception of what the Tea Party was in 2010 wasn't fully accurate. I mean, the only question I could ask you, which which would maybe give Sorkin a little less of a leg to stand on in this argument, is do you think there is another viewpoint about the Tea Party that will refute or the show refuse to highlight? Well, I mean, you could argue that the show refused to show the Tea Party positively, and I think that's certainly the case. But I think we're, we're at a point now in 2012 where most people, especially the people watching HBO, don't take the Tea Party seriously. And I feel like a lot of Republicans feel like Will does in the episode and feel like the more rational, moderate Republican base was, in a sense, hijacked by this fringe extremist element. Now, you could argue that Will needed to have a pro-Tea Party person appear on Newsnight in order to be balanced. But as they've pointed out, I think it was in the previous episode, the idea that there are always two sides to every story isn't always true, and not every side is equally as relevant or equally as grounded in the truth. Basically, I I, I don't think the character of Will McAvoy did anything wrong by going after the Tea Party because really all he did was point out that the Tea Party wasn't what it claimed to be. There's even that moment when he's talking to the two Tea Party members and they reveal that they actually had no idea that the Tea Party was receiving all of this money and um, from the Koch brothers and, and, and that there actually was more of, I guess you could say, an organized institution behind it all. I personally don't have a problem with how Sorkin presented the Tea Party, and I think that people that do are just nitpicking, honestly. I think the truth of the matter is the people who do are slightly confounded, generally. (laughs) I don't know if I'd go that far. But, you know, the question is, by presenting the Tea Party in this way, is HBO alienating any of its viewers? And I would say no, probably not. I highly doubt that many of HBO's target demographic are really staunch Tea Party supporters. I could be wrong about that, but that's what I would guess. So I really don't think that they're going to lose any viewers by going after the Tea Party, even though Newsnight in the show may lose viewers. Also, I'd like to say that that's kind of a ridiculous sentiment, the idea of HBO generally losing viewers because of what the newsroom has to say, because with a channel which has such varying content, such as um, the newsroom, girls, entourage, Game of Thrones, and Rome, their their content is so wide that it's. I don't think anyone with any form of sense in their head can look at any one show and call that a statement of HBO. True, and you know I do think that again this is a generalization, but many members of the Tea Party are very right-wing, conservative Christians. And many, you know, I just don't see 
that demographic spending much time watching HBO, which typically has shows filled with sex, nudity, and graphic violence because it's HBO and it can do that. Actually, when now that I stop to think about it, in terms of what it's presenting, the newsroom is probably one of HBO's more quote-unquote conservative or quote-unquote family-friendly shows. Andrew, Andrew, you don't seem to realize... If they don't watch HBO, how are they ever going to live out that life? It's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> no, but, gener- but but honestly, maybe it's because I have this viewpoint because I don't own a multi-billion dollar business. But if someone feels that a TV show which I've put on says something means that I mean it as the owner of that business, and they're a fucking idiot. And they, I don't, they don't deserve to watch my channel. That's a very Sorkin-esque thing to say. <laughs> I mean, it's the equivalent of, like, Mad Men this past season that just went. One of the big things in the last season of Mad Men was that they were getting the, the, the account for Jaguar. And um, spoilers for Mad Men for anyone who hasn't seen it. I'm just going to announce it since this isn't a typically Mad Men show. There is an episode later on when some a character attempts suicide whilst using the Jaguar. And I read an article on Cinema Blend the following day in which the CEOs of Jaguar wrote a response to that episode saying about how they had almost no input into the show and they were just sitting at their seats going like, holy shit, please don't let this happen because they don't want the, the media backlash of, oh, Jaguars kill people or whatever whatever madness that the American news would have come up with because a character committed suicide in their car and the, the image of their company. But the truth of the matter is the fact that their name is attached to this doesn't mean that they approve or have anything to do with that message. It's just a message from someone else who happens to be through this channel. It's, it's, they're two different things. People, people need to realize how to, how to decide source from provider. They're two different things. I guess you could say that, but at the same time... Let's be honest, HBO has final approval over what it airs. And I have a feeling if they weren't comfortable with the stance against the Tea Party that the show was taking, they wouldn't have allowed it. I personally don't have an issue with how the show presented the Tea Party because I feel like what it was doing was that it was acknowledging that one of the reasons the Tea Party became so influential is that at first, mainstream news broadcast and, and, and broadcast networks did take it seriously and give it almost equal airtime as to other political groups that they were reporting on. Mainly, I think, probably due to that idea that, you know, we have to remain balanced. And what Sorkin seems to be arguing in the newsroom is that that really should not have happened. You really shouldn't have given the Tea Party equal news time until they were, you know, investigated and you followed the paper trail to see, you know, how they were uh, until you had all the facts. So again, this is a this is an episode in which we we really get that sense of uh, wish fulfillment. You know, we get to see the news how ideally it would have been reported back in 2010. And there were a few channels that did take a very anti-Tea Party stance early on, but I feel like most networks did not, and it took a while for that 
sentiment about the Tea Party to start to spread. I guess it's a reality of the world that we lived in at the time where we didn't have all the facts and Aaron Sorkin couldn't just put it together in a highlight reel for us like we wanted. I know. If only if only Aaron Sorkin had been around, everything would be different. We've talked a lot about the presentation of the Tea Party. Let's move on to our main topic for the week, which is this whole Will McKenzie relationship and that little conflict that makes up a subplot of this episode. Because that's really the only character development that we have in this episode. As you predicted, Maggie and Don get back together. They didn't break up. They seem to be doing okay. Jim still hasn't been able to woo Maggie. At one point, he even says, you know, he's, uh, quote, voting against his own interests is the metaphor. He tells her to stay with Don if she can. That really hasn't changed much. But we did get to see that Will is dating people and Mackenzie is dating people. And that leads to some tension between the two of them. What did you think of that whole subplot? Because I, I gotta tell you, I thought it was the weakest part of the entire episode. First of all, Andrew, you, you got the syntax wrong. Mackenzie is dating someone and Will is banging cheerleaders. It's more important to get the cheerleader in there. <laughs> That's a good point. He's, he's, not, he's, he's dating multiple people, let's say. Let's say that. <laughs> he's going out on dates. <laughs> I disagree with you completely. Not in the fact that Will and Mackenzie's little moments weren't, were not strong, but... The fact that that was the only character development that there was within the show. There were so many tiny moments that showed that, that I guess you might not call them so much character development, but more character definition. You've been begging for the last two episodes to find out more about these people. You say about how we, we get a definition of Will in the fact that he shouts at people. We get a definition of Mackenzie in that she infuriates Will. And we don't really get a definition about Jim because all he is is a guy with a phone who happens to have a sister and a best friend who magically call them on the same call him on the same day but this episode with will and Mackenzie, we've been looking to see how they will meld together and we see how over we we just kind of assume over this six month period that professionally they've they're working fine they're enjoying the fact that they're delivering a product to their viewers which is in their minds, a superb product. But we can see with the fa- with the way that Will is parading these these women in front of his ex girlfriend Mackenzie that he, personally he still wants to have a little war, so to speak, with Mackenzie. But the fact that when we see Mackenzie's mate, it seems a bit more serious, a bit more stable, and the fact that she's told him don't you dare let will see you that she doesn't want to be that petty person that tells us something about these characters is that so so bad well i do have some problems with it but we'll, we'll get to that in a sec were there any other characters you felt like were developed at all because i can only think of one interesting character moment in the episode and that was when don confronts jim and Don's a little drunk, and this is after he's seen the apology that Will aired. And he comes up to Jim and he basically says, you know, I, I could have done that episode. I, I could have done the show tonight. I really could have done something that good. 
it really did kind of change how I looked at Don a little bit. It almost made him out to be this tragic figure, this guy who really wants to be doing the news well, but because he ended up leaving Newsnight, now he's kind of stuck reporting on things like the McRib, as Jim points out later. And, I, you know, it really did kind of make me feel bad for him a little bit. So that was a nice little moment, I thought. But was there anything else other than that? Well, when it relates to Don, yes, you have that moment. And he reminds me more of the kind of guy who just bought the new Galaxy 3 phone, but then two weeks later just discovered it went on sale and he's just pissed. But there, there's so much more with Don. There's the fact that towards the end of the highlight reel, when they're dealing with basically the, the election result show, and we can see how throughout this episode, you can imagine how Will has been directly coached through Mackenzie, through Jim, or even through Maggie at times, where he can get um, information and they can talk to him in a way that is a bit less formal than you imagine. It's, it's this tragic relationship, and that even goes further to define, define Maggie as a person, as someone who's, who's always codependent on this other man, this other person. She, she's, she's now starting to get confidence in her job as a profession, as an associate producer in this team, but she still can't drag herself away from this man. Why? Because she needs that relationship. And it, once again, I'm going to jump back to the scene on the roof with the Xanax, when... Jim has finally coached her down and um, you see her pick up the phone and all she says is, yes, that's the guy. So 
it's it's a case where maybe she's had some thoughts about Jim. Maybe she's seeing that Jim is some greener grass over the over the fence uh, as opposed to her relationship with Don. And I don't know if you're going to tell me that I'm looking too hard into these things, but those are all character definitions that we've all been waiting for in this show. And as far as I'm concerned, they're great character definitions. See, I think that a lot of that we already knew. We already knew that Maggie was kind of uh, drawn to Dawn, even though maybe she she might realize it's not a great relationship. Uh, We knew that from the very beginning of this episode anyway, when it showed that she was back together with him. Um, I'm not necessarily sure we needed to have it spelled out again. And the the thing with Jim is that, yeah, that's a really great scene on the roof there, but the show is building Jim up as this almost perfect, noble individual, which makes for some really compelling, soapy melodrama. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, if Jim is this perfect, why does he not have a girlfriend? What has happened to him that he is single? This does not make sense. Clearly, he has no problem approaching the women that he likes and being extremely nice to them and helping them out professionally and... You know, I, I just, I, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, why is he still single? But, any, but anyways, I, you know, I, I, did, I really didn't think that we learned anything dramatically new about the character of Jim or Maggie in this episode. But I, I want to spend the last part of the episode here talking about the Will McKenzie relationship. Because honestly, why, I, I kept thinking to myself, it's been three years. McKenzie broke Will's heart. He feels bad about that, obviously. She feels guilty about that. It didn't seem realistic to me that after all this time, they would still be so petty and so jealous about each other, dating other people. I mean, why wouldn't Will have assumed that Mackenzie was in a relationship? Why wouldn't Mackenzie expect Will to go out on dates with, with other women. The idea that McKinsey would see these other women and just suddenly become super flustered and hardly be able to deal with it and accept it, that just doesn't seem realistic to me. And it seems kind of insulting to the character of McKinsey, in all honesty. I thought she'd be made of stronger stuff. I don't think that she's offended or flustered by the fact that Will is seeing someone. It's just who he's seeing. Even so, why should she care? Because... I mean, obviously, from the beginning of the show, she she still has hopes that something can happen between her and Will. I don't know. It, it goes back into the Sorkin argument of women always depending on men. You know, I, I just kind of feel like, look, it's it's been three years. I mean, maybe Will still hasn't gotten over McKinsey, but why wouldn't she have gotten over him? You know, after all this time, she went to a war zone. She's had a lot happen in the past three years. He's had a lot of stuff happen in the past three years. He hates her guts most of the time. So why is it such a big deal that they're dating other people? You know, I, I got this real sports night vibe. You know, in sports night, the lead anchor and the EP are in love with each other the whole show, and they're just afraid to admit it. And it makes for great melodrama because you can tell that they both are in love with each other and they and the whole series you're just screaming at your television just get together already 
What's different about the newsroom is that they were already together. It didn't work. It ended in heartbreak. And I just cannot fathom why Will would resort to this tactic of parading around the women he's dating to make McKinsey jealous. Why would she be jealous? Why would he feel the need to do that? Why would it be an issue? It it just really seemed out of left field to me. I didn't think it made a whole lot of sense, and it was definitely the weakest part of the episode. I mean, I get you. I it it sounds like one way to put it. I I just viewed it for face value as it was. Will is parading women in front of Mackenzie to get back at her. Mackenzie is just being critical of who Will is with because that's some women who. In your life, they'll always be that person for you. Even if it's even if it's that it's a case where Mackenzie's loins are being stirred up because she loves how Will reads the news and eventually hopes that by episode 10, she'll be back with Will. I don't know. I can't tell you. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's, 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 it's just a waste of time that the show is spending on. I mean, the, the implication is that deep down, Will and Mackenzie are still in love with each other. And maybe that will turn out to be the case. I'm just saying there there hasn't really been much of anything leading up to this point to give us that impression. It it just seemed like a real shoot-in sitcom-y subplot to write in. And I don't think it really did much. All it did is that, you know, okay, so now we know that Mackenzie has a boyfriend who's kind of a jerk you know, comes across that way. Don't worry, he'll be gone by next week. <laughs> but regardless, um, the general idea that you just said about this, this, this notion of Will and Mackenzie and their... Well, what was it you said? They, they might still have feelings for each other or whatever? Right. First of all, jealousy is rooted still in love. Is rooted in the fact that you still have feelings for one another, whether it's the fact that you're being petty and parading women in front of you, or being flustered at the fact that those women are, are there. They, 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 that means that there is some feelings left in there. The fact that Will was hurt when Charlie hired Mackenzie and brought this woman back into his life kind of shows that there are some feelings still there. I mean, yes, it's kind of silly and melodramatic, but. It's there. No, 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 no. I think all we've seen, at least from Will's point of view, leading up to this point, is that she broke his heart. He didn't want anything more to do with her. He didn't want to work with her. He told her in the pilot he doesn't forgive her. It seems like there's still a lot of animosity there. And I just don't think this idea that they would be jealous of each other has was earned. I, you know, I, I didn't feel realistic to me. Maybe if it came later on in the season when we've already seen, when we've seen some signs that maybe they still have feelings for each other or that those feelings are starting to develop, maybe then it would work. But at this point in episode three of the show, it just really felt out of character to me. And also remember, because of the the idea of this episode, if this was to be a regular structured season, as we we would hope it to be from episode one and two, where we see these things happening would probably have been episode 12 of the season, given that it's a six-month highlight reel. Wait, so you mean that if they hadn't crammed six months into one episode yeah if they had done like the first two episodes where it was basically focusing on one specific day if if they had done that for the entire season what we're seeing now would have probably been the 10th 11th 12th episode of the season 
Well, that is the one drawback of doing a montage episode like this filled with flashbacks where we basically see six months crammed down into one episode. Maybe during those six months, feelings did start to develop between Will and Mackenzie. And, you know, maybe there was sort of a lead up to this little game of jealousy that, 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 that they play. But we didn't get to see that. So when they reveal it, it didn't feel earned. That is the one drawback to doing an episode like this. You know, I'm, I'm wondering if we will see more episodes like this in the future where suddenly massive amounts of time pass quickly. You know, by the end of the season, will we be up to the present day? But it, it'll be interesting to see. I just hope that if the show continues to play around with time, it allows us to see these important character developments take place. And it allows us to see these relationships and these attitudes change and develop. I mean, I can't wait until the end of the season when Will is reporting on the Higgs-Boson particle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that'll be great. And the health care bill. And the, the Supreme Court decision. And yeah, yeah, that'll be a... <laughs> that would feel really weird. But if anyone can make it happen, it's Aaron Sorkin. And who knows? Maybe by the end of the season, Sorkin will have skipped around with time so much that by the end of the season, Will and McKenzie will suddenly be married with kids, happy, and unfortunately will have been left behind. And we won't get to see it happen. It'll just be there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that, that's totally possible. I mean, time travel is part of television. Is there anything else you want to say about this episode of The Newsroom before we wrap up? I don't really think so. I mean, the only thing that I would say to Aaron Sorkin, and please, if you're listening, take down, t write this down, because I, I know that I'm no, I'm no Oscar winner, but you might need a note or two. Please don't make analogies to Rocky II. It's not good. Please, don't do it. I was just about to say, please, no more Rocky analogies. That one, that one just did not work. <laughs> I could kind of see what he was going for, but that, yeah, that, that part just was not a good analogy. I feel like Sorkin himself realized how bad an analogy it was, so he made the character kind of bomb out of the analogy halfway through. Yeah, I, I think the, uh, the story that Leona Lansing tells about golf, that was a bit more appropriate and got the point across. But yeah, the, the Rocky II thing just did not work. <laughs> Oh, I almost used that, that Jesus golfing story at work today just because it was so awesome. I think we've learned that Aaron Sorkin should stay away from pop culture references. But he can stay with the news. Yeah. All right, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of Navigating the Newsroom. Don't forget you can subscribe to us on iTunes to automatically receive updates when we publish new episodes. You can find more episodes and more great podcasts over at Film Geek Radio at www.filmgeekradio.com. Be sure to check out our other shows like Cinema Fix and The Thin Place. Andrew, where can people find you online and how can they get in touch with you? You want to get in touch with me? Follow me on Twitter, I'm at Gmail Reviews, and you can message me there or whatever. That's all you really need. I'm Andrew Johnson. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash writerandrew. I also will occasionally post some writing on the Film Geek Radio website, which I already mentioned. 
If you'd like to write into the show, you can email navigatingnewsroom at filmgeekradio.com. And yeah, I think that'll wrap it up for this week's episode. This has been Navigating the Newsroom, and that's the way the cookie crumbles. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah! Um... Milk was a bad choice? (laughs) I thought you were gonna do, like, a traditional news sign-off every episode. I mean, I could say, fuck you, San Diego, but, you know, I felt that line was better. Um, okay. Alright, this is... (laughs) I'll, 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 I guess I'll add one. Um, all right. This has been Navigating... I hope you leave the two of those in there. <laughs> we'll save them for later on. Uh, this has been Navigating the Newsroom, and that's the way the cookie crumbles. Cookie-wise. All and right. otherwise. What? What did you say? Cookie-wise. Cookie-wise? And otherwise. And otherwise? <laughs> I'm going to keep making references if we don't cut this off soon. Yeah, okay. (laughs) All right, I think we're done.